Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I was so interested in it. I was interested in this, just this beautiful escapism of it all that actually it didn't matter what you looked like what size you were what kind of color of the sort of skin you had what type of hair you had everyone can be part of the perfume game hello and welcome back to beautiful lives the podcast in which i madeline spencer am joined by guests to share some of the challenges they faced and triumphs they've enjoyed during their life as well as touching on the relationship there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. ...between their inner and outer self, and where beauty memories and rituals have had an impact. Today, in honour of National Fragrance Week, I have a very special episode for you, and I'm joined by the beauty journalist and fragrance expert Alice DePark. She's won an army of fans on Instagram for her lyrical descriptions of scents and for her series Desert Island Spritz, in which she invites a guest to share some of the scents they just adore, which I was a guest on earlier in the week. Full disclosure, it was very, very hard to whittle down all my favourite scents, but I did it in the end and Alice and I ran through them all. So do head over to her Instagram if you fancy watching that. Listening back to this episode felt like going on an olfactory holiday where Alice's sublime spells of words whisked me away. So I hope you enjoy and word of advice, listen with a notepad and pen because I would be amazed if you don't end up wanting to try a lot of Alice's recommendations. I hope you enjoy. Here's Alice. Alice DePark. Yes. Hi, welcome to the show. You describe yourself as a fragrance writer, is that correct? That's correct. It's my jam. Yeah. I would like to know how a little girl who likes scent becomes a fragrance writer. Can you talk us through your career? Okay, so um, I think a lot has to do with um, my love of like cooking and flavours. Like that's a big part of it, but I'll go into that in a minute. So um, started off as a beauty journalist doing like all the things that you and I have been doing for years and years, writing a lot about skincare, writing a lot about makeup. 
um, and just being really slightly nerdy about fragrance for ages. What was your big break? How did you get in? I used to be really ambitious. Like now I'm so super lazy. It's insane. Am I allowed to swear, by the way? Absolutely. Okay, fine. Um, when I was about, uh, when I went to uni, I was at London College of Fashion doing a fashion journalism course. I say degree. It wasn't really a degree. It was a course. And my lectures were like three hours a week. So at the same time, I was a fashion assistant at Tatler, a photography assistant with a food photographer, and I worked in Brown's, the boutique, on a Saturday as well. So I had like in South Morton Street. In South Morton yeah. Street, I had like loads of different jobs in the industry whilst mm-hmm. doing this degree. And it was at Tatler where I kind of just learned everything. I was a fashion assistant to this really hardcore fashion director, and in the room next door was the beauty department. And they just looked like they were having the best time ever. And I was like slaving away, like packing all the couture clothes. We all smoked at the time as well, smoked at our desks. All the clothes must have stank. It was horrific. And um, and I'd always sort of wander into the beauty department going, oh, hi, guys. Hi, how are you doing? What are you up to? And at the time, like I'm quite a big girl, so I'm sort of plus size. And at the time, I probably wasn't as big as I am now, but I certainly felt this feeling of, oh, look, this is for everyone. And the room I'm in is not for everyone. Everything's really expensive. Everything's really tiny. All the shoes are a specific size. And it's very exclusive to like this members group kind of thing, especially because where I worked at Tatler was very, um, everything was very expensive and you couldn't touch it kind of thing. So I kept going into this room thinking, everyone can be part of this bit. And this is the fun stuff. Like, my mum would love this and I love it. My sister would love it. And um, so anyway, I would just go and hang out with them quite a lot. Eventually, I um, finished my degree and got in touch with a girl who I used to work with at Tatler called Kinvara Balfour, who is like still a really incredible friend and mentor to me. And she said, oh, I'm working at the Telegraph magazine. I'm looking for an assistant. Do you know anyone? And I was like, actually, me. I've just finished my degree. I'd love to come and work with you. So I was her number two. And at the time she was going out with this quite famous guy. So she was really busy doing lots of kind of red carpet stuff. So we'd write her pages together. And I um, eventually took over one of the little half pages, which is like a little sort of beauty section. Mm. And I was like, here we go. I can get some fragrance in here, do a bit of my kind of beauty obsessive thing and moved away from the fashion side of things. Because at the time... I mean, this is like 20 years ago or so. They didn't they didn't have beauty, enormous beauty sections or beauty journalists or beauty um, degrees. Like, it didn't exist. So you had to kind of just muscle your way into it. And that's sort of where it started. So I took over this little section of, the, of our pages, which had a little beauty column, managed to turn that into a full page. And then after that, I actually got bullied at that job by this awful woman, not Kimvara mm-hmm. at all, but mm-hmm. this other woman. And after three years of being paid uh, £150 a week, I was like, I'm done. Like, fuck you guys, I'm done. I'm sick of this. I quit and went to, got a job at Glamour years and years. So this is years ago, which is ironic because I now write for them again. And um, as a six month placement as a beauty writer. And that was it. That was like, bang, beauty, here I am, love it particularly interested in perfume but at the time it wasn't that big a deal because all the advertising was makeup and skincare and um and then from there it just sort of progressed from glamour and then it went freelance for six months because there just weren't any jobs in the industry moved on to brides where I was doing maternity cover and then she didn't come back after having her baby so I stayed there and I was probably there for about eight to ten years 
started off doing a few beauty pages. I was beauty editor director there. I mean, I can't remember, like, the hierarchy was totally different. You were just, like, the beauty girl and there was no assistant. And then um, went to Easy Living, RIP, um, one of the ones that went. But when I was at Easy Living, that was properly the sort of big, big-time beauty director role. I had a team, an amazing team. I was running about 25 pages an issue doing health and beauty. And it was the time when... I don't know, there was there was not a lot of fragrance journalism about. And I was like saying to my editor, look, I love doing this. Let me do some. And some of them kind of were going up for awards and stuff. And they were like, look, you do the fragrance stuff. The rest of the team did everything else. And and it just became my thing because I was so I was so interested in it. I was interested in this, just this beautiful escapism of it all mm. that actually it didn't matter what you looked like what size you were what kind of color of this sort of skin you had what type of hair you had everyone can be part of the perfume game something I love about your writing is that you draw people away a little bit like into a sort of Enid Blyton world where everything sounds really evocative everything makes me feel like I want it like irrespective of what it is you can be talking about a smell that I actually really hate but you make it sound wonderful not that you know you talk about lots of scents I hate but you have this way of creating a world something that you didn't mention now which I found curious is you didn't mention um wordsmithery or reading or anything like that but in fact something that really sets you apart is that you have an enormous vocabulary you use words in a really interesting way and like I said you're very evocative so where did that come from was that always a talent you had it's a a weird one because I never read a huge amount when I was small which sounds awful to say that as a journalist and especially when I had my kids like a few years ago there's no time to read books Mm -hmm. um but I'm like little miss synonym and I love wordplay I love the puns and I was when every single magazine I've ever worked on I was always the one that they called in for like the cover line meeting or the headline meeting to be to come up with the kind of snappy funny puntastic headlines and I love that stuff I do that with my kids as well especially my six-year-old we do a lot of wordplay together and there are some words that 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 instantly take you somewhere very specific and I find that fascinating and it with fragrance there was this very specific turning point in when I in how I started to write about fragrance in this very descriptive quite metaphor laced way because fragrance journalism traditionally has been quite exclusive and members clubby if you don't know what vetiver is tough you know it's in the copy so that's what it is that's the ingredient and I wrote a piece for I think it was Sunday time style and my sister was reading it it was either my sister or my cousin was reading it and I was like oh what do you think what do you think and it was a perfume piece she goes yeah but don't understand I don't get what it smells like and I was like well it says it says it's got it's got sandalwood in it and she goes yeah but what is or cedarwood I remember it was cedarwood so you yeah but what does it mean I don't know what cedarwood is and I was like okay well imagine like a chopped trunk and the wet damp heart of that trunk and you stick your nose in it and there's like that nutty damp sweetness and she goes oh yeah I get it now and I was like oh and I suddenly, and something turned, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, that's probably how normal people think about smells, mm-hmm. isn't it? They need to find something that they connect to in a real sort of world, rather than these notes that mm-hmm. no one knows what they mean, like tonka bean, like, what the hell does that mean? No mm-hmm. one, unless you're in our industry, and we see it all the time, and we know what it is, and we've seen them at launches and stuff, you don't really know that it's a sort of shriveled up 
bean that smells quite kind of chocolatey and a little bit bitter that mm. can almost like give a sort of chocolatey depth to like stews and cookery and stuff and it does the same for fragrance so when you take an ingredient and you give it a little bit of a personality and a bit of direction it just makes it easier to understand what type of fragrance you're talking about so that then became my sort of style of writing and I kind of got rid of I never I, I tried to, to not talk about like triangle you know the perfume pyramid like uh, whatever yeah, yeah. um and even very simple fragrance uh, ingredients that we know very well like bergamot a lot of people don't know what that is Mm -hmm. but if you say you know quite sort of bitter juicy mouth-watering orangey lemon citrus fruit Mm -hmm. bang you know where you are it's helpful that you're also a really good cook because you can use a lot of the metaphors pull a lot of things across and most people will handle food yes exactly and flavor and taste and they're all linked so Mm -hmm. so intrinsically so i think about fragrance a bit like you're tasting something Mm -hmm. and now, and actually I haven't even thought about this until now, but when I was growing up, we watched a lot of cookery programmes, like Keith Floyd and like my hero, Keith Floyd. Um, loads of cookery programmes. And there was always that one called, um, was it the Good Food Show or the Food Show? And there was Jilly Goulden doing the wine. And I remember her talking about like pencil shavings. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I understand what that smells like. Yeah. And being fascinated by words used to describe smells and flavours. And suddenly it can take you somewhere like a photograph. And I love the challenge of um, of hitting the right metaphor for someone to go, oh, yeah, I get what that smells like now. Yeah. And like talcum powder, you wouldn't have talcum powder in a fragrance, but lots of fragrances have a talcum powder vibe to them. Mm-hmm. And once you say those words, you instantly know where you are and whether you're going to like it or not. And you can go, no, that's not really me. Um, so I just love doing that. I find it really funny. I always want you to write a little storybook for like risking you away before bed where you just sort of describe things. It'd be very ASMR for me. You tell me. Um, you mentioned, so your childhood and and the cooking programs and things, but I wondered if you could home in on some of the scents that struck you when you were a child and that really stick out and maybe not even necessarily actual bottled scents, but things that you remember from being young. Um, yeah, there are a few. The really important ones that are very nostalgic and close to me are um, the smell of like the hot gravel um, outside my grandparents' house in France, which we still go to, um, uh, still as with our families. And um, and it was always very sort of dusty, but almost sun-baked and very, very warm and very, um, uh, very comforting because it smelled like their home. Just this like the hot the hot the sort of ground on the floor it's very dusty but warm as well it's a really strange one to always think about but I always remember that smell um and another one which is a bit weird and not particularly a fragrant smell is the smell of um, mushrooms in forests because my dad um used to take my sister and I mushroom picking mm-hmm. every this is like this weird nerd fact about me like I know a lot about mushrooms and we used to go foraging every autumn um every Saturday morning and we get in the car like half six to get there to get to the places where we go mushrooming I can't say where they are because you know that's like the circle of trust <laughs> um and for hours we'd just be trampling around forests but we'd never look up like I was uh, eyes were always down looking for mushrooms and the smell of mushrooms is like oh, I can smell it there's something there like we've hit a good patch come on let's find it and this sort of damp nutty kind of mulch leaf almost like damp cardboard smell with that sweet perfume of mushrooms that you think I'm on the hunt and I can Mm -hmm. find them and that smell is 
one of my most important smells. There's something I'm thinking about a mushroom when you get a fresh mushroom. It almost smells a bit watery, like almost like a lift. Yeah, There's something yeah, about yeah. it that almost feels thirst quenching. And it smell. kind of cuts through the forest smells because, yeah. you know, the sort of woodland, traditional woodland smells are quite damp and, um, as I said, like quite mulchy. And then you get this little sort of, do you remember those Acme like cartoons where you get like this plume yes. of smoke from the sausages, like the dog can yeah. And suddenly you can smell this tiny little sort of sweet, fresh little plume and you're like, boom, mm. we've got some. Mm. They might be bad, but if they're bad mushrooms, they're always good mushrooms. Yeah, and yeah. it's just one of those smells that it's just in me forever and ever. Mm-hmm. And the smell of barber jackets. Yeah. Oh, putting on barber jackets. Oh, that waxy, oily of... Oh, Yuck, yeah. don't like that smell. But it's a big one, it's a big important one as well. Yeah, I have that with linseed oil and lacrosse sticks. Yes, like, yes. <laughs> just that I hated that smell too. And even now sometimes when people use very like linseed oil in foods, I'm a bit like, oh, it just makes me think of dreading this idea of going out on the lacrosse pitch and thinking, please don't let me, let, don't let <laughs> yeah. the ball come my way. I don't want it. It was awful. <laughs> um, what about actual scent scents? Did your mum wear anything? Yes, so one of the ones that... Um, Definitely a big part of our childhood. Which, I mean, I think everyone's mum wore Shalimar, girl out Shalimar, this big sort of explosion of powdery petals, weirdly fresh, but weirdly sort of warming as well, a really sort of strange juxtaposition. And it's such a big, badass perfume. It's massive. Mm-hmm. And it kind of walks into a room before you do. And I always thought that that was just a completely fabulous. And, and it smells of makeup as well. So it's very... Um, ritualistic as a perfume because there's this big sort of thing and the bottle's so ornate and it's one of the ones that actually I will still kind of go for if I'm thinking right I need a I need a big perfume Mm -hmm. for this event or wherever we're going um and just this sort of cloud of fabulousness before going out and that sort of excitement Mm -hmm. and we get a little spray as well and I do that with my girls as well and um that was a big one definitely a big one and um, what were the other ones from? I think I mean that one she wore for years and years and years. And I remember my dad always saying, "Well, it's a fragrance for brunettes," but she was blonde, and she was like, "Well, just because you've said that, I'm putting on some more." And there was this real like defiance in that, and that she knew what she liked, and I thought that was really cool. Um, but it was always one fragrance for ages and ages, and and that's always been my like internal um, battle that. I wish I could be one of those people with one signature scent because it's quite fabulous and glamorous. But actually, that's not my character. I'm all over the place. Like My mood changes every day. We're all different people every day. I need to have like a wardrobe rather than just one. I also think I I similarly would love to be someone who says, well, I always wear this, but I I absolutely don't. But I think it's quite nice to have touchstone ones where you go back and you know that they're part of your life in this Mm -hmm. meaningful way, but you still have other little excitements. What about when you were a teenager? Okay. (laughs) Why are you, because I said this before we started recording, I said, were you someone who wore the green impulse, which I used to live in when I was about 14? And it was, you know, a smell that means so much to so many people, mm-hmm. but obviously it's not as complex as yeah. beautiful perfumes that you might wear now. Did so it appeal? <laughs> there was one that, um, actually there are two that really kind of defined my, I guess like GCSE A-level years, those sorts of years. And the first one was by from Gap. Mm-hmm. It was called Heaven. Mm-hmm. And I still, I still can, I can still remember it. It's almost kind of slightly celestial, a little bit aquatic, quite cloud-like, very sort of... Um, quite wet and mouth-watering and almost like fresh cologne, but quite quite cloudy sort of 
yeah. warm as well. Aquatic is such a good word for teenage. Totally. That's exactly yeah. what all my teenage ones smell like. Yeah, because you want yeah. to kind of deflect from your kind of your greasy hair sort yeah. of thing and yeah. all the kind of weirdness that's going on in your body. You want something really kind of juxtaposition. Juxt- yeah. What's the word? It's, it's a juxtaposing. Yeah, juxtaposing. Yeah. yeah. And then so there was that one. And I remember, I remember feeling, you know, when you have like, um, most likely to succeed, most da da da, and people you say you're the best smelling person at school, and I remember thinking you can throw any award, any grade at me, whatever. That is that is my legacy, and I just remember thinking, oh, my job is done. Yeah. I'm the best smelling person at school, and then when kind of the boy thing sort of happened, and I was like, oh, I'm not interested in like horse riding anymore. Oh, boy, snogging. That was when I discovered Obsession by Calvin Klein and that was my thing for like a good three or four years. Totally inappropriate because, you know, it's just such a massive like sex bomb fragrance and I wasn't really that person. I was a bit like, okay, well, let's not, you know, a party kind of thing. But I wasn't promiscuous. I didn't wear anything sort of, you know, like anything that was remotely kind of sexy at all. I was just like the kid in combats from Camden Market and DM Boots and tried to get my hair like Rachel from Friends and it never worked because it was a little bit frizzy on the size and it was just awkward. But I always wore Obsession every single day okay. before school. And it was massive and it stayed on you for days practically because mm-hmm. it's such a big one and it's that big sort of almost narcotic kind of musk and amber. It's, it's, it's like... It smells like sort of velvet and those big, heavy textured, like cable knit. It's heavy, it's big, it stays with you. And because my hair was quite thick as well, much thicker then than it is now because, you know, kids were in your life, basically. Um, It just sort of suited the lion's mane hair that I had. And we all wore big baggy jumpers. So it just seemed to kind of work quite well at that stage in my life. And... Then I realised it was just completely inappropriate, much too heavy. When I started working in offices and then like work experience, I just thought, oh God, I can't do that to everyone. No, you know, we're not in the playground anymore. And sometimes when you are nervous about something, I do this with makeup and I certainly do it with fragrance too, where I'll spray, I'll put on a bit too much. And then you yeah. don't realise until you get to the place you're going that you reek and reek. you're filling a space. And someone's like, God, just walked in yeah oh god it's me yeah and you can't get rid of it you're sort of wafting it off yourself and it won't go away so for someone outside the beauty world who are saying i have no knowledge at all of fragrance Mm -hmm. what would you say someone needs to know to be a sort of conscious consumer now well a lot of the um i write a lot for uh the glamour reader who is sort of aged kind of 20s to 30s and what they're very interested in at the moment are sustainable ingredients and things like that have actually been happening for years in perfumery. So all these big perfume houses have always looked for ingredients that have a kind of fair trade initiative that support families who go and like, you know, with their lovely dogs. Yeah. Monty's here, he's just gone into the yeah, sitting room because there's a shaft of sunlight. Yeah. That's what he's after. Yeah. And um, so there's this real... Uh, love and care about ingredients in your perfumes that has been around for years and years and years so I think if you're shopping for fragrance always know that there's been a lot of care taken in those ingredients and obviously the more um not complex but the 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 natural sides of things are going to be more expensive because of the labor intensive sort of Mm -hmm. techniques what do you mean by the natural side okay so let's take for instance um 
rose yes. as a as an ingredient. Um, the the crops are very labor intensive because um, it's dependent on climate. Mm-hmm. It's dependent on all sorts of things: the quality of the ground, the crop sort of success of each year. The the rose variety is very specific, so they do very well in certain countries. So um, like a fine wine then? In, precisely. Okay. There's a sort of yeah. almost like an appellation around it. Mm-hmm. And the way in which it's harvested is quite labour intensive in that you have to kind of pick, well, there are certain ways of doing um, different ingredients. But for instance, for rose, you could um, do a sort of distillation or wax um, distillation, all sorts of different techniques to get mm-hmm. that beautiful essence. And because it's time involved and people involved, that's why it's going to be more expensive. It's a bit like jasmine, probably one of... I mean, wait for wait, I think it's more than gold, isn't it? We keep being told that yeah. at events. But it's because they're picked at a very certain time because they 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 can release a better quantity of their oils at a very certain time in the day and it's all very specific. And so some ingredients are really difficult to manufacture, to process. Mm-hmm. That's why they're more expensive. But if someone were to make a synthetic version of that... yeah. And they swore that it smelled the same. Yeah. Do you feel that there's more value in something that is a natural version? So this is one of those things that I'm... At the moment, especially because of this year, mm. my feeling is we need to leave Mother, La- Mother Nature the hell alone. That's sort of my idea at the moment because there's this demand for natural, this kind of obsession almost for natural. I need it to be natural. I need it to be natural. But the the... The devastation in terms of like the the ecology, the um, the quantity of like human energy and, and industrial energy that's used in these sort of natural grabbing of the ground is actually less sustainable than making something in a petri dish in a laboratory by a scientist who knows exactly what they're doing in a very controlled environment and hygiene and hygiene safety and stuff. I mean, I think that that's more um, important for skincare at the moment because there are lots of skincare ingredients that when you take something like petrochemicals out of a skincare product, but you put palm oil instead, it might sound, it might kind of pretend that the idea is natural and cruelty free, but actually, where did your palm oil come from? And what about the um, horrendous deforestations that have come with your cruelty free vegan eye cream? And actually, you're putting palm oil in it. So actually, the the ethics of it is really questionable but with fragrance because you're limited to a certain number of ingredients because it will have to be within sort of you know sprayable bottle format you don't need to um there's not so much kind of concern there but in the same way as synthetics being almost more sustainable there is something to be said for the enormous economy that natural ingredients can provide for families for farmers it is the most amazing way of um of keeping um lots of countries that that have these beautiful ingredients in in good positive finance so that's really important as well and it's a little bit of a balance so you've got these big um if you're in boots, for instance, and you see, oh, a long conference, you think, oh, that's really mass produced and, you know, that's not going to be special. Actually, the L'Oreal, who owns um, Lancome, have these amazing fair trade initiatives where they really protect the people who make all their raw ingredients. They're really um, 
pro-women as well because traditionally like fragrance has been male dominated so lots of their new fragrances are just made by women in companies that are run by women and I think that's really positive and really exciting as well so it depends how deeply um how how deeply connected you want to be on a moralistic ethical level mm-hmm. but if you just want something that smells nice you know what there's no it's really interesting because lots of people are like oh high street fragrances but a lot of them are made by the people who make very established niche cult super mega expensive ones as this, well this brings me to the next thing i wanted to ask you there are a few perfumers who work across yeah all fragrances like let's say the pe- 10 people who are basically in charge right and yeah. make all the smells who do you think is exciting? Who should people know about? And also what brands maybe would be surprising that they worked with? Are there a couple that you can yeah. pull out? Um, crikey. I mean, there are quite quite a lot. But mm. when you think about, like, some of the women are really fascinating. Like, um, Marie Salamagne is one of the ones who I think is really fascinating. She is uh, she's really amazing with very delicate floral. So she's the one who made Jo Malone. Uh, in the Lavender Collection, she did the wisteria and lavender and she's very good with these sort of beautiful delicate little petals and she works with all sorts of brands Mm -hmm. she works with uh, michael kors like all the loads of the aramis designer fragrance brands joe malone she works across anyone because when you have a good concept and a brand that's going to look after you you want to work with them anyway and um and i think as a perfumer and i've interviewed a lot of perfumers they just really want to get, they want to translate the designer or the brand's concept into the best smell possible. And a lot of the time, the brand will go to these big fragrance houses who have like their cast of amazing perfumers and pitch the idea out and the perfumers will come and do and and, and submit their, um, their fragrance. Mm-hmm. And it all depends on the brand's sort of perfume representative whether they're like oh do you know what this is the one that Mm -hmm. that we think smells the most like the concept that we want to sell here so it can be really a case of luck um and I mean I love people like Jan Vasnier who's just really good on like sexy woody fragrances and he's doing some of the Karine Roetfeld ones that are coming out soon he works with Joe Malone as well um and they're just really they're really interesting people. I really love interviewing perfumers because um, they usually are people quite similar to me who love cooking, who love flavours, who just like kind of walking around their garden smelling weird bits mm-hmm. of like concrete and stuff because there are really interesting smells out there that aren't fragrant smells. Perfume descriptions are confusing. Yeah. Could you demystify some of the popular ones? Okay, so um, let's take, for instance, for instance, like an oriental. Yes. I mean, that sounds sounds actually totally the wrong word these days, doesn't it? Like, let's please stop using the word oriental. It doesn't mean anything. But what it traditionally would mean is something that's quite um, spice-laced. So spices and th- even like store cupboard spices, like cinnamon, cloves, um, those kind of warm, toasty spices that are used in a lot of uh, like North African cooking, for instance, mm-hmm. Um, that really bring warmth and depth to a fragrance. So it will have a kind of penetrating, enormous sort of um, like cloud to it. It'll be quite um, quite ballsy as well because these smells are big and punchy and powerful. Um, and then when you have something like a, oh, like a cologne will be all the sort of very flighty, 
um, all those tiny molecules that evaporate quite quickly, like all the citrusy sort of smells and some of those florals are so light and airy, you can but like almost, you can barely touch them and they're see-through. Um, and those categories, I actually feel really sort of anti-categories because it doesn't really mean it. That's not how people shop for fragrance. Mm -hmm. You know, it's more about your mood or textures. Or if you say, well, it smells quite cashmere blankety, you go, oh, that's the feeling that I want. But Rather if you, than oriental, it doesn't really mean anything. But if you go into a shop, there'll often be this sort of thing around, you can only smell five in one go and put the coffee beans in the middle. And blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Are there any tricks to finding your one if you're going into a shop? Yeah, and I think have a look at what you've got at home first. Mm -hmm. Think about the smells you really like to have around you all the time. Like I don't actually want to ever smell of rose. I like smelling them in my garden yeah. and I make a big deal of that. My husband is like deadheading the roses so we've all got beautiful roses and I love the smell but I don't want it on me at all so think about what you want on you and what you don't want on you like I quite like the smell of vanilla because it's kind of warm and cozy and I want my kids to like snuggle up to me and I like those sort of yum sort of nostalgic smells so think about what's on your dressing table and what you always kind of reach for mm -hmm. and why you reach for it and then you'll figure out a bit of a almost like your your crazy spiral staircase will get a little bit more straight. So then you'll see what you tend to be drawn towards, whether they're warm, nuzzly fuzzies or clean, metallic, you know, like we said before, like aquatic. If you want that sort of, I just want that clean, fresh, white shirt, laundry smell, then you'll be known to go into a shop and say, look, I really like this sort of thing. Just show me that. Yeah. And, um, but interestingly, don't, don't fixate too much on, on what you don't like because actually there are fragrances all over the place that will have ingredients that you think you don't like, mm -hmm. but it's a really important part of it. Like I say, I don't like rose. Pretty much all my fragrances that I like have some element of rose because there are certain types of rose that, this is going to sound really weird, but that smell a little bit like um, like artichoke mm -hmm. when you smell it in the raw kind of way and it's absolutely revolting. Or like patchouli smells like damp cardboard. Mm -hmm. And in big doses, it's horrific, but in tiny doses, it brings a sort of depth and anchoring into your skin that makes it sort of hang on there. Mm -hmm. And it gives it this almost um, like animal sort of skin quality to it. The way you talk about fragrance sometimes makes me think, and particularly now makes me think almost like of a cocktail or a very complex recipe. How do you feel about it when there's a perfume that is one note or one, one thing? I mean, it's a bit, it's a bit like the way in people in which how people dress. Some people just do the jeans and their Breton top and don't divert away from that outfit. And there are lots of brands who do that very, very well. There are, you, they they say exactly what's on the label, and it makes it much easier to to shop for, and. And I remember that's why I think people are so drawn to brands like Joe and I, and I keep mentioning it, but um, because it says what it, it does, what it says on the tin and it's so simple and it's mm -hmm. so straightforward. And some people, uh, I've got a friend who just wears um, uh, like an amber, like a amber, um, uh, uh, almost like a sort of essential oil just on the backs of her ears. Mm -hmm. And it smells out of this world. It smells incredible, but she doesn't like wearing perfume because it's too busy. She's mm -hmm. like, I just want something really simple. And it's very much like how you shop. Like, I, I wouldn't ever go to, into a shop like Cos because it's almost too controlled and too simple. I need a bit of chaos. 
That's why I probably wear quite big, weird, mad perfumes. But occasionally I like a sort of simple Aqua de Palma Colonia, which I'm wearing mm-hmm. today, actually. Um, so some people... Sorry, I'm going off on a tangent no. now. But it depends on the type of person you are, really. If you're a sort of... You know, if you just want clarity and simplicity... And actually, there aren't really enough of those brands that do simple. This is what it does, and this is what it says, and there's nothing else. It's, yeah. it's it's that easy, and we're giving you something so simple, it takes a decision out of your crazy mm-hmm. day for you. You mentioned your friend putting the amber behind her ears, and it made me wonder how you apply scent. Do you spray it into the air and walk through it? Are you a Oh, gosh, person? no. I'm a, like a just drink it pretty much. I'm like, stick it in my veins in an IV drip. I am. I just drown myself in it. But what I always do, and um, this is something that um, the very eminent uh, person that we know very well, Roger Dove in our industry, yes. um, he taught me like years ago is to always spray the tops of my wrist rather than the underneath of my wrist. Oh, uh-huh. Because when you wash it, for lots of different reasons, but when you wash your hands throughout the day, you're more likely to kind of wash the sort of underside of your wrists. Yes. But also your skin, uh, your hair, you have more hair on the tops of your arms, which are more porous. Mm-hmm. So the fragrance will stay a little bit longer. And and it's a bit more sort of, they're closer to you as well. It feels yeah. more sort of personal. But I always spray my hair. I spray my clothes. I spray my kids. Everything. Someone once told me to, um, and I only do this when I'm going out somewhere proper and I want to feel like a real woman yeah I put on my body moisturizer and then spray my body while the moisturizer is still there and it kind of clings to it and then you feel like oh well it's coming from you it's, it's emanating from yeah, your pores it makes you feel like an old Hollywood star I'm like yeah. right okay now I feel glamorous properly glamorous and that is yeah. and whether that's um like uh, technically correct or not it doesn't matter mm-hmm. if it makes you feel like you've you created this private ritual for yourself that is way more important than whether something's right or wrong, right? I have a three questions actually um, to do with just specifics of buying. Yeah, fragrances now. So, um, what do you make of price points high versus low? And now they're some astronomically yeah. expensive, and and very affordable. Yes, yeah. and, um, and and I think very good ones available at both. So, yeah. yeah. What do you think? Depend. Okay, so. I guess a fragrance brand would choose to spend their money in certain ways. So a big mass fragrance brand would need would probably, because of the competition in that category, they would spend their money on a really expensive model and an amazing shoot somewhere like, you know, Turks and Cake, you know, somewhere sort of fabulous. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of ad campaigns in magazines, on screen, on social media, it'll pop up in your thing and you'll just be like immersed in it and yeah. it'll make you drawn to it. And that's how we hear about these things. Other brands... Um, would spend all their money on the ingredients like somebody like Frederick Mal for instance who commissions he's a bit like a sort of fragrance director and he commissions script writer noses to perfumers to create his fragrances all of his money goes onto those people and into the ingredients because the packaging is really simple there's no advertising he keeps life very simple and he puts all the money into his uh, his team of perfumers and the ingredients but it doesn't mean that the ingredients are necessarily better than mass ingredients because a perfumer who Frederick Mal uses for what, for some of those fragrances uses exactly the same ingredients for like Avon. Mm-hmm. So it's about where that brand feels that their money is best spent. And in terms of the ingredients, yes, you will have some certain ingredients like Madagascan vetiver that's been harvested at midnight by like two people in a family and, and all like really sort of 
um, intricate and um, very sort of precious things. And obviously, the price is going to go up for that because it's mm-hmm. a it's a a real artisanal craft, and you pay for that time and that passion. And um, and you could probably have a synthetic that smells very similar. Mm-hmm. That will make the fragrance smell similar, but it will cost less because of you know just the generally sort of you know the spend. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I gotta say there are some like you know high street pharmacy fragrances that are sublime, like four seven eleven, and some of those Roger Gallo ones are amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's not really about. I don't know. The price thing is weird, isn't it? It can kind of feel like it's been plucked out of the air sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, like, I don't think there's much of a difference between the price of like a Marc Jacobs fragrance that should be, you know, that would have been 30 quid less 10 years ago. And, you know, they're like 70 quid now. doesn't really make sense. But they feel that that's where their price point will catch um, catch more customers, maybe. Could you possibly, I'm putting you on the spot here, but could you possibly name, let's say, three that you love that are really affordable and yep. three that are really spendy? Okay, affordable. Mm-hmm. Let's have a think. Um, I, okay, one of my all-time favourites is uh, Donna Karen Cashmere Mist. Mm-hmm. It's not very expensive. I mean, it's definitely under 80 quid, I'd say. Yeah. Maybe even, like... 40-ish quid for the sort of smaller bottle and that is just like such a masterpiece Mm -hmm. because it smells like a cashmere sweater it is absolutely just mind-blowing and it really lasts um another one yeah 4711 the cologne I mean just iconic and delicious and refreshing it doesn't last longer than five minutes but it doesn't matter because you just want to keep splashing it on and drinking it and it just smells perfect and it's the balance is perfect on it um, what's another good high streetish one or like low cost one? Um, let's have a think. I actually did a little IGTV about this one the other day, but YSL Kuros, and I know it sounds so like people are like what? Because it's eight, it's like nineteen eighty one. It smells of the eighties. It's this giant sort of in your face cloud of like sexy talcum powder, but yeah. it is. It's incredible. It's one of the best smells I've ever smelt and it might not be everyone's cup of tea mm-hmm. but you know you go to the perfume shop and it's probably not very much yeah. or like a super drug and it'll be in like the bargain bin and um there's always like a gift set at Christmas mm-hmm. and it won't cost you more than 50 quid do you remember that in the 80s and it's just flashed back in my head they used to make those little you'd get a set of like an a or like the little you know and yes. they'd have like tassels on them and tassels things, and they're tiny stoppers but not yeah. actual sprays so you'd have to be really careful yeah. how you put it on yeah that was a big Love thing those. in the 80s everyone like that and the body shop um, soaps would yes. be like something you'd commonly get at Christmas yeah yeah. God. little gift sets I haven't thought about those for years I really want no, one tiny, tiny little things tell me about expensive ones then three really okay, spendy ones, ones you love um, I've got one, and this was so um, posh and gorgeous, um, a real like lovely experience. But um, I went to the Guerlain counter in Harrods when we were all able to like sit with each other in a distant, distant past. Um, and I had a fragrance, not made for me, but I went through their sort of really cool digital analysis thing where you kind of do a sort of almost like perfume tinder and you kind of swipe the things that you like and you touch the things that you don't and you kind of select different things and all the algorithms this insane clever sort of amazing computer wizardry selects fragrances according to kind of what you said you like mm-hmm. and one of the ones they hit on I mean they they got me 
totally and it's called Queer Beluga and it's probably like in the 180s I think and that one is just sublime and I adore that one so much um one that I really love is from the Chanel exclusives again that's like a hundred plus maybe like quite one quite high hundreds mm-hmm. and it's called Coromandel and it's really sort of warm and just very wintry and oh yums mm-hmm. um and what's another I mean I do love Frederick Mal Iris um Iris Poudre is amazing that sort of powdery buttery creamy iris is so good mm-hmm. so many of them are I try not to get too attached to ones that are too expensive because one day all of this will go away and I won't have a job and people won't be writing about this stuff and I have to buy something myself and I'll be really upset. I have that with Serge Luton's. I was writing an article for Stylist. Um, it was at four four winters ago or something. And I really remember it was one of those days where it got dark at like 3pm. Yeah. And I was sitting there and they said, can you just pick the most sort of sexy winter scents and just pull them together? And like, we just want stuff that really takes you somewhere. And there was this in, in box of them. And I was smelling them and then I smelled this. I was like, that, that might be the best thing. It smells like oh. bay leaves and winter and oh. sexiness and fire and just all these things. And to me, it just, it took me to like a little grotto in Austria where someone was, you know, yeah. drinking and burning a fire. Just my idea of heaven, basically. It's like a dark little woody space. Heaven, heaven. And, um, and, then, and then I looked up the price and the editor was like, I don't know if we can put this in. And I think it's like 280 or more. It's eye-watering, isn't it? And I love it. And I now, and I have a bottle that I use really on only very special occasions. And actually the fluid is kind of bluey purple uh-huh. and there's one day that um, I had to stand in for someone who's meant to be interviewing Channing Tatum and they said can you go instead and I was like of course I can go instead and I thought this is definitely a side blue Tom's day yes. and I was wearing a white cashmere jumper and I went like this because I thought today is a day to pour it I'll dance yes. myself he will yeah. smell me from this distance <laughs> and, um, and and it just got this blue bib on oh this white God. cashmere jumper oh, which it one, what's it called again? Val- I can't pronounce Valier de Nuit Valeur de nuit. Yes, something okay, like that. Okay, I don't know okay. what it means. I actually don't really know what's in it. I just love it deeply. I valeur means like the worth of something, like the, the value. Oh, I'm sure valeur? it's extremely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very expensive. But anyway, that just takes me back. And that's one of those. And, and similarly, I have this bottle and I'm like, oh my God, one day I'm going to have to buy this. One day it's going to And go. it's so expensive. Yeah, mad. <laughs> Terrible. Um, cult perfumes, people are talking a lot about them now. There's yeah. a big thing, like, you know, people to talk about Portrait of a Lady a lot. People talk about eccentric yeah. molecules a lot. Yeah. Wondered if you could just dash out some that you think people should know about. Um, okay, one of the ones that I love is um, by Rido Gypsy Water. Like, that is such a good one because it's... It's really curious. It smells like really good, yum, warm skin. It almost smells like a sort of patchwork quilt that's really warm and that's been sitting by a kind of roasting fire because it's got a little bit of smokiness, but all those warm, yummy sort of skin wrapping um, ingredients as well. Really, like almost like vanilla incense. Um, can I talk about a, a candle? Yes. Because when I said the word incense, I suddenly thought of the John Galliano diptyque candle, mm-hmm. which is a little bit like Feu de Bois, that kind of toasted fire, but it's got this sort of sexy church, naughty choir boy thing. That's really inappropriate, sorry. But like naughty church kind of feeling about it. Roger Dove makes a Christmas candle that to me smells like that. It's, yeah. got, a, it's got a church vibe. Church, yeah, sexy yeah. church. Yeah, sexy church. It's not the right thing to sell, <laughs> to have that, but... Um, that you walk and you think, yeah. oh, this is so comforting and lovely, but actually it's quite naughty. Yeah. Like, I get a bit giggly yeah, in here. Yeah. Um, all those sort of incense, frankincense, myrrh, all of that, yums, but mm. not too kind of clovey or Christmassy, actually, because it's it's just, oh, it's just delicious. Um, 
I mean, my all-time favourite crank candle is the Fornasetti Otto, not only because it smells incredible of that sort of warm, again, like incense, amber, those beautiful, glowing, autumnal smells, but also it's the Claridge's candle, in which they burn and all over the place. And you love Claridge's. Yeah, it's, my, it's your yeah, place. It. <laughs> yeah. um, and... Okay, cult. You always think even I'm walking to Claridge, isn't now? It's like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, home. Yeah. I wish it was home. <laughs> um, what's another one? Oh, cult. Oh, I don't know whether it's sort of, I don't know whether you would consider the cult, but I have to say like Aqua de Palma Colonia is, mm. is one of the most perfect fragrances I've ever smelt. It's so perfectly balanced and it's got that traditional that people would say like fougere that lavender um kind of garden herb border mm. fresh botanical notes with that kind of lovely um italian sort of lemony citrus mm -hmm. but also this lovely kind of woodland depth to it as well and it's the perfect balance it's the smell of like i don't know like a really expensive pharmacy i just think it's so perfect and it goes with everything it's the sort of little black suit dress whatever you want to wear mm -hmm. it's it works with everything whether it's black tie or school run or you're hungover or dinner party whatever it's inoffensive it's it's just this it's perfect it's perfect yeah. and it does last for a fragrance that's quite flighty and light and airy and transparent it lasts quite a long time mm -hmm. i just think it's brilliant what do you like on men <gasps> okay so my husband wears um, Elmet Terre d'Hermes, which is quite like dirty, filthy, like soil mm -hmm. earth, mm -hmm. but with this big um, sort of penetrating like freshness from like almost a sort of pine and some citrus at the top. So it's very invigorating, but it's really, um, it's very calming and grounding, like someone's got their arms around you yes. and it really suits him. It's, it's brilliant on him. It smells amazing. But it has to suit someone too. I know someone yeah. who wears some Chanel egoist and I thought, oh, I'll smell that at the airport. It smells completely different. Yeah, yeah it's, totally. it's bizarre. And then it smells like cinnamon, but in the bottle it smelled like perfect. They're just completely yeah. different. And the so, way in which it sort of trails and like evaporates and sits exactly. on someone's skin. And yeah. he's got this freakishly soft skin. I'm like, what do you do? Maybe it's like 20 cups of coffee every day that makes him <laughs> really soft. But it just really... It works on him, and mm -hmm. he doesn't wear it every day. Only if like we're going out, and then it's like, it's oh, putting yeah. the perfume on, and it's sort of all giddy. Um, and I think some of the, like I've got to say, this sounds <laughs> this is such a ridiculous story, but I once interviewed David Beckham, but like mm -hmm. years ago when he was doing some kids' clothes, kids' sports clothes for Mark and Spencer's, and I had to fly to Manchester for the day and interview him. Random. Um, the <laughs> Telegraph, I know, yeah. totally random, and. Um, and I remember how incredible he smelled. And he was wearing Creed Aventus. Right. And, I mean, Creed's an amazing brand. It sounds so, it's so expensive. It sounds sort of very kind of high-privileged, posh and stuff. But it's one of those rare ones that's made by a family. And I've met the family as well. And it's it's real passion perfume, but like passion perfumery. Anyway, like Creed, I'll buy people Creed or I like Penhaligans too for oh, yeah, like fancy presents. Yes, that's and what it's I beautiful. Do. It's really yeah. precious, and they are really good fragrances, yeah. and they're made really carefully and thoughtfully. And um, and the family business has been around for sort of hundreds of years. Mm. And um, anyway, he was wearing this perfume, and he just smelt incredible 
And I found out from the PR and she's like, oh, he always wears this. And I was like, boom, that's the one. Mm. If I ever had to buy a fragrance for a man, it would be that one because it just smelled. I don't know. It was just sort of sexy and warm, but clean. Oh, I don't know. It's it was one just amazing. It's the original Vetiver. I really yeah. like that too. Vetiver was, is amazing. Yeah. And the Guerlain Vetiver is one of the best ones as well. And mm. wonderful, wonderful John Prothero, who was in our industry for ages as a, a PR for mm. lots of beauty brands who sadly passed away this year. He used to wear Guerlain Vetiver and you almost can't smell it without mm. thinking of him. And it was a really precious one. And yeah. their Vetiver is sublime. To finish, I want to ask you what's on your shelf now. Okay. Um, okay, so weirdly, it's probably not the right... Actually, it is the right time of year. I um, I love... Um, I mean, again, Equa de Palma Colonia, I wear all the time. I actually wear a lot of... Um, <laughs> this is going to sound nuts, but Jean-Paul Gaultier Le Mal, because actually my dad wears that one. It feels very comforting and nostalgic and warming, and I love it. Again, it's another one of those like posh talcum powder smells that I just adore. So I do wear that a lot at the moment. Um, the Chanel Coromandel I wear a lot of at the moment because it's... For me, it smells like, and I put this in my little video on, on Insta, but it smells like Christmas in London. And I don't mean Christmas smells, but I mean that festive time in London when all the lights are up mm-hmm. and it's sort of drizzly and you're waiting for a cab and there's one down the road. and You're like, oh, you're going to take me home. And it's also dark and warm and glowing. And it's mm. just, it's beautiful. But more, I'd say more sort of an evening one, probably not mm-hmm. daytime. Um, another one that I'm... Um, Wearing actually another Aqua de Palma. Sorry, I feel like I'm plugging them, oh. but I think maybe because we have the same initials, I feel like I should always. Oh, I hadn't you know, even considered yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. If I wasn't doing this job, I'd definitely go hunting for a job there. Yeah. Um, their new Colonia Futura is really delicious because it's, if you like the original one, you'll love this because it's got this sort of lovely sage, this earthy sage depth to it. And mm-hmm. I find that anything that has this sort of herb garden border ingredients can feel very grounding and almost like enhance your confidence a little bit because it anchors you down into the ground into the soil where these ingredients have been sort of grown from and it just it balances you it stops the sort of flighty anxiety in you and anything that has those sort of garden herby botanical quite soil rich Mm -hmm. um green notes feels very calming to me um, and I love that one. Also, the bottle is like super sustainable. They've done this whole like sustainability thing where the cap is no longer Bakelite. It's like all recycled. All the paper that they've used is like milled from marble dust, like all this cool stuff. They've put a massive effort into it. So I quite like the mm. idea of it anyway. Um, and what else am I wearing at the moment? I've forgotten, but those are ones. And also I love a bit of Jo Malone, um, Basil and Neroli. And actually I wore that, I I had COVID in April and I lost my sense of smell and taste, which, I mean, that's a whole other podcast of like, that sent me into a really dark place because it, it was like somebody cutting off a limb because I couldn't cook, I couldn't smell, it was awful. Mm. And How long for? About three weeks, okay. which doesn't sound very long in the great scheme of things, but at the time you it just sent me very much into like this malaise feeling of just helpless it's like what's the point in doing anything I just could I, it was it was the worst part of it mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. um but I still sprayed um perfume on every day because because I looked so ill as well I didn't want my kids to get like worried and stuff mm. so I'd always smell tried to smell like me 
And one of my default ones is Joe Malone, uh, Basil and Neroli, which has this amazing kind of jungle, wet, dewy, green, crunchy sort of smell to it. And it's very refreshing. But the Neroli gives it this sort of, I don't know, this lovely, um, like, sunny warmth to it as well. And and I wear that a lot. That's one of that's probably one of my kind of top five default. Like, not sure what to grab. I've got three second bang. It's that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I love 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 that one. And and so I sprayed it every day because I remember once a really long time ago I sprayed it and Poppy, my eldest daughter, said, oh, "Smells of mummy." And I said, "Oh my god, tears." Mm-hmm. And um, and I remember just thinking, she recognized like she associates that one with me and. When I'm looking so unwell because I looked really horrific, I was sick a lot, and um, and I just thought oh, I want a smell of something that makes them feel like it's mum, and so that's the one I kept reaching for, and it's a really precious one for for me. And do you keep yours tucked away, or do you keep them on display? They're everywhere. I'm going to take you upstairs in a okay, minute. Exciting. They're all over the place. They're in the bathroom, like in a nightclub. They're all over the place. Before we finish the episode, I just wanted to say very quickly. I um, mean, you mentioned your Instagram, but I want to say that if you need to relieve yourself of anxiety or to escape the world go on to alice's instagram i will of course link to it <laughs> and watch one of her fragrance videos it's like intelligent asmr i love it oh, it's thanks. the most soothing thing you could possibly well, someone watch. did tell me that i sounded like the keith floyd of perfume and i was like i would take that that's going to yeah. whittle the migraine yeah stone. i mean really like i tell friends like, just go and watch just oh. go and watch it and you'll <laughs> chill out and it will also make you want to buy perfumes it's nice Ooh, oh that's my post right um, <laughs> thank you so much alice thank you Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.